0: Well, hello, everybody. Um, As many of you may know, uh, a few weeks ago, we were in the middle of a service, and as I was speaking, uh, the power in the entire church went off. It was absolutely an incredible, incredible thing to behold. And so we did not get um, all of the second part of our series, Some Assembly Required, recorded and so what I am going to do today is I'm going to attempt to at least give you the, the 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 big overview of what it is that we talked about in that message so if you joined us throughout the series some assembly required you know that uh, we we had these these boxes on stage with us and and one box was there to re- represent our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. And we talked about how all of us have these hopes, dreams, and desires. They are accumulated over the course of our lives. We add to our boxes. We take away from our boxes based on the experiences that we've had. Um, but something happens whenever we stand on a stage in front of our friends and our family and we say I do to the person that we want to uh, spend the rest of our our, our lives with and and what can happen is that we can hand our box of hopes, dreams, and desires to our spouse. And our husband can do that to his wife, and the wife can do that to her husband. And all of a sudden, these innocent hopes, dreams, and desires, these natural hopes, dreams, and desires, can all of a sudden begin to feel very much like expectations for our spouse. And again, this this is natural, but, but the problem is, is where... Expectation is kind of like that—that that baseline of the relationship. Um, you find yourself in a really difficult place, to where intimacy is hard to find and where gratitude is hard to find. Because how often are we truly grateful for people who just meet our expectations? Generally, uh, gratitude is—is—is is, is connected to exceeding expectation, not just meeting it. So anyway, um, you can find a lot of that in 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 the other messages in the series but 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 the question that we asked during this second message is if the natural thing to do which is allow our hopes dreams and desires to be handed to our spouse and become expectations if the natural thing to do is not the best thing to do then what is the best thing to do and so, over the course of this message, we just spent time looking at some words of the Apostle Paul, because um, he gives us this incredible teaching in Ephesians chapter 5 that really points to what it is that a Jesus-minded relationship would look like. And and, and most of us are probably somewhat familiar with this text. We've heard it at, at various times in our lives, and... and um, but. But I hope, as you listen to this now, especially if you're listening to it for the first time, that that perhaps you'll be able to listen to it with some fresh eyes, because there there's there, or fresh ears, because there's something about this text in particular, and and for many of us, whenever we grew up, we grew up um, reading the the New International Version. It's probably the most popular version of of, of the Bible, most popular translation of the Bible, um, for people in the Restoration Movement, and um, growing up, we had the 1984 New International Version. And one thing that the New International Version, the 1984 New International Version did that, that kind of put this text uh, uh, in a little bit of a bad spot for us is instead of beginning the text in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that the headline of husbands and wives, instead of beginning that in, in chapter 5, verse 21, they began it in chapter 5, verse 22. And so if you just look at that in the 1984 NIV, it looks like whenever the Apostle Paul begins to talk about marriage and husbands and wives, it looks like that this is the first words out of his mouth. Husbands, submit yourselves, or excuse me, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And there are a couple of things that I think we we, we need to point out about this text is, one, remember the 1984 NIV thing, because that's one of the reasons that I believe we, we read this text the way that we do. The, the 2011 NIV, they updated it and kind of moved the, the heading of husbands and wives into a more proper location. But, but the other things that I, I want to point out are this. Whenever we hear this text, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, with our 21st century minds, with 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 the equal, the, the equality that men and women uh, largely experience today, it is so so easy for us to feel uncomfortable with this verse. But it is so important for us to keep in mind that the first readers of Paul's words here, that very first audience that that he spoke to, whenever. Whenever they would have heard this verse, whenever they would have read this verse, whenever they would have had this verse read to them, to the women, it would have kind of just been like this, yeah, duh, kind of mindset. They they understood at that in in, in that day and age that that they were essentially property to their husband. So of course the wife had to submit to the husband. The husband was able to divorce the wife for any reason. At all. So so what other choice did they have? If they didn't submit to the husband, then the husband could just divorce them, he could replace them, he could just kick them to the curbs. So the very first audience that heard this, their mind would have been, Of course we have to submit to our husband. But the second is this, is is that the the the, the verse actually reads, whenever you read it in, in the original language, it actually reads, Wives to your husbands. As to the Lord. In the original text, the verb is not included simply because verse 22 is meant to be an extension of verse 21. And it's in verse 21 where we get like the the, the foundation for this text, where the Apostle Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission, the Apostle Paul says, is a two-way street in marriage and relationships. Like submission is meant to be a a two-way street. And all Paul is is doing is he's doing what he does every time, as he gives some sort of a a, a command or or some sort of an imperative in his teaching. He's always pointing back to the teaching of Jesus. You can look at all throughout Paul's epistles, you will see that as he points that that as as he gives. Uh, an imperative or 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 command of sorts he he is always pointing back to the new command teachings of jesus the place where you can find the new command of jesus so clearly clearly communicated is on that final night that jesus was betrayed as he's sitting around a table with his disciples he's already washed their feet then he looks at them and he says a new command i give you love one another just as i have loved you so you must love one another. And the Apostle Paul is saying that that you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that, that, that your attitude is supposed to take the new covenant of Christ, the new command of Christ, and allow that to be the foundation. So love one another just as Jesus has loved you, so you must love one another. So you must love your husband, so you must love... Your wife, and so with that in mind, let's take a look at this text here in Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse twenty-one. It says, "Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband or uh, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. And everything. Again, this was far from controversial." in that day. And it is far from controversial in the ways that it would be perceived today. So husbands, here's their command. Love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in the same way that verse 22 would not have been controversial, verse 25 would have been very controversial. You see those words just as, very similar to what we see in John 13, where Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Here we see husbands just as Christ has loved the church. You must love your wives in that same way. And that would have caused the husbands to say, hold up here. No, 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 no. That's not how this is supposed to work. You see, my wife is is my property. My wife does what, 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 what I want her to do. So so she's here for me, and so for me to love just as Jesus has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that means that that I must sacrifice for my wife. That means I must serve my wife. That means I must unconditionally love my wife. It means that I must be willing to die for my wife. And, and to the husbands, that would have been a complete Completely foreign concept from what they were used to, but Jesus said, or, or Paul, he he continues and he says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her. "...by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body." And then he says in verse 31, "...for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united." to his wife and the two will become one flesh in verse 32. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And so for us to grasp what Paul is wanting us to learn, I want us to just real quickly take a look at the context following um f- f- uh, 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 that, 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 that surrounds this th- th- this text. I, I want us to, to look at the, the context that surrounds these these couple of paragraphs that we just looked at. And I want us to look at and I believe three things here real quick. And, and the first one is this is that uh, Jesus following husbands and wives, we are called to mutual submission. This text about husbands and wives, it leads off with this call to mutual submission, and I want you to notice why we are called to mutual submission. We are not called to mutual submission out of reverence for our spouse. We are not only to submit to our spouse when, when we are happy with our spouse, we are not to only submit to our spouse when we feel like that our spouse deserves our submission, but, but we are to We are to submit to our spouse, not out of reverence for them, but out of reverence for Christ. We are to submit to our spouse out of reverence for who he is and what he's done. Your mutual submission actually has very little to do with your spouse, but it has an awful lot to do with Jesus. Paul never intended, this is so important, Paul never intended for verse 22 to be a verse that men could use to hold over the one that he claims to love the most. Instead, Paul is just simply calling us to something completely different, something that we do not have the power to attain on our own. He is calling us to a mutual submission when we feel like it and when we don't, all because of Jesus. So men, yes, it is a call to lead, but it is a call to lead and in the ways of Jesus. It's a call to lead in, in a sacrificial way. It's a call to lead in the same way that Jesus, the as he's praying in the garden of the Gethsemane, and he's, he's asking his father if there's any other way for his purpose to be accomplished other than what's getting ready to take place on the cross and and through the flogging and his beatings and all those things. But he finally says, but not my will, but your will be done. It's a it's, it's, it's a submission to the purpose of God, and so we are called to, to love in a sacrificial way. We are called to love in a submissive way. We are called to love in a servant-minded way. We are called to love in a loving way. We are called to love in a way that we lay down all that we are for your bride. Mutual submission means that I am going to put my spouse's hopes, dreams, and desires before my own that wives, you will put your husband's hopes, dreams, and desires before your own, and husbands, you will put your wife's hopes, dreams, and desires before your own. It means that you're going to leverage all that you are um, for the benefit of your spouse. And do you remember this quote that we've used throughout this entire series to where we've said that happy couples know that they owe each other everything. That's so important. But they expect nothing in return. It's literally a submission competition. And the second thing that helps us get the context of what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is this, is that marriage works best when husbands and wives strive to follow Jesus together. Ephesians chapter uh, five twenty one is the immediate context for what follows in verses twenty two through thirty three, but to get the context of what we get in, in Ephesians five twenty one, we must go back a little bit further to Ephesians five verse, te- uh, uh, verse fifteen, where it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The only way that that the family makes sense as Paul is describing it is through the lens or the context of discipleship. So in, 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 in setting up the context for these relationships, for this marriage relationship, Paul gives us a few examples of what this is supposed to look like. He tells us to live carefully. In your marriage, live carefully, not as unwise. Don't put yourself in foolish situations. Don't live as unwise, but as is wise, not foolish, but understanding God's will. Don't get drunk, but be full of the Spirit. And whenever the Apostle Paul talks about being full of the Spirit, you can always point to Galatians chapter 5, where he he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, like the proof that the Spirit is alive and active in your life. And and, and so, do not be drunk, but be full of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And and being full of the Spirit will, will, will be shown in how we talk, and the songs we sing, and the thanks that we give, and, and to our submission, in our submission to one another. And then finally, the third thing that I believe brings a little bit of context to, to um, Paul's teaching here in Ephesians 5 is that marriage is a symbol of God's love for God's people. From the very first page of the Bible until the very last page, God has used marriage as a symbol for His love. And in Galatians chapter, or in, excuse me, in Genesis chapter one, we we see contrast all throughout that that chapter. You have the contrast of light and dark, the sun and moon, the land and the sky, the water and the dry, and it all culminates with a man and a woman. And then in Revelation chapter twenty-two, we see Jesus who is coming back for His his bride, the church. We see that God in heaven desires a relationship with man on earth. And it's and it's so interesting that as Paul is writing about husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5, that that it, it's almost as if he's writing with intentionally blurry lines. To the point that at times it's hard to see if he's talking about marriage or if he's talking about Jesus and the church. But post Sin, post the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, one thing that marriage does real quick, and any of us who have been married for any time at all, we can testify to this. One thing that marriage does real quick is it reveals just how selfish we really are. It reveals just how broken we really are. Yet in marriage, this is so beautiful, we are meant to be loved through our brokenness. We are meant to be loved through the parts of our lives where we've been hurt. We're, we're meant to be loved through our, our differences and our misunderstandings and, and through the times that it doesn't work how we think it's supposed to work. In marriage, we are loved. We, we are chosen. We, 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 we are found of value. In marriage, we are accepted. And what a beautiful picture. And so finally, the last thing that I, I, I want to say is that your marriage exists for something bigger Than itself. Because if if we lose this, we lose marriage, But, but your marriage is meant to be a picture of how God loves us. Just imagine God's love coming together in spite of differences, in spite of imperfections, and working together to produce and to sustain life, to be full of grace and forgiveness and service. It is so much bigger than than just what happens between two people because your marriage is meant to attract people to jesus and so here's my question does your marriage shine a light on the goodness of jesus and does your marriage make the gospel attractive Throughout my ministry, I've heard several people say, and I mean, even before I was in ministry, I'm sure I probably have said something similar to this at some point in my life as well, but I've heard a lot of people say, I want a biblical marriage, and sometimes I wonder if we understand what we're really saying there, you know, because whenever you look in Scripture, there really aren't many good examples of, of marriage. You Do you want a marriage like Abraham and, and, and Sarah? You know, Abraham always lying about, about who Sarah is, and do you want a, a marriage like like jacob and 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 Rachel? you know, maybe, but there's an awful lot of mess that's surrounding that relationship as well. Do you want a marriage like David and Bathsheba? I mean, maybe there was a deep passionate love there, but it it definitely didn't start in the right way. So whenever we say we want a biblical marriage, it, it it's like you know well, what are we really asking for? because there aren't many good examples there, but what we do have to describe. A biblical marriage is exactly what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. And I believe if you condensed his teaching in Ephesians chapter 5 all the way down to the nuts and bolts of it, it would ultimately sound an awful lot lot like what he said in Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul said this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. Consider others better than yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He says, instead, in your relationships with one another, in your marriage, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He could have just said that, but in Ephesians 5, instead, he said this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which he, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and just as he gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, or any blemish, but of holy and blameless. It all starts with a reverence for Christ. When we live with humility, then we will li- then then we will serve sacrificially. It all starts with a reverence for Christ. That we are able to to be the first to forgive. We are able to be the first to apologize it all starts with a reverence for christ that we are able to exemplify the love of jesus and the love that he has for his bride so husbands may we love with a christ-like love with a golgotha kind of love where where Jesus' back was scorched and his hand and his feet were nailed to wood. Where he, his spear was thrust into his side and the crown of thorns was placed on his head. And he laid his life down for his bride, for you, for me. All because of the way that, that he loved him. May we love our wives in that same way and together. May we all love with a Christ-like love, with a foot-washing type of love, with Jesus as our model, and as he came to serve, so must we serve. When we see Jesus not using his authority as some sort of a tyrant, but but instead he flipped the pyramid upside down and he coupled his authority with humility and love and service. and, And in our homes, may we do the same. May we be concerned for the spiritual well-being of our spouse and of our family. May we strive to know Jesus personally. May we, may we take discipleship seriously. May we care for the soul of those that we claim to love the most. May we see this as an honor because after all, we will never love our family and we will never love our spouse more than Jesus already does. And so, in every marriage or every wedding that I do, I always try to include these words and I'll use these. I'll use these as a uh, encouragement to us today. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Stop and take a moment. Never forget how thankful you are to be able to do life together. Husbands, lead in love. Be the kind of leader that your wife wants to follow not out of fear, but because she knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that you will always have her best interest at heart. So be wise, remain humble, always be willing to forgive, and most of all, remember Jesus who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, always considered others better than himself. In week one of this series, I asked you to do a little bit of homework, and part of that homework was to, to figure out what's in your box of hopes, dreams, and desires. Not to have a conversation about it, but, but just to figure that out. Well, today, I, I want to give you another homework assignment, and it's this. Husbands, I want you to ask your wife what's in her box. And wives, I want you to ask your husbands what's in their box ask after you ask that question i want you to be quiet i want you just to sit back and let them talk and listen so if you took the time to listen to this thank you so so very much i hope that in some way that it is helpful and, and if you've been trying to follow along with this series i hope that that this kind of helps maybe tie some things together. But uh anyway, let me pray for us and then we'll be done. My Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to to do this today and and Father, I do pray for every single person who listens to this, whether they're currently married, one day hope to be married, um were once married or whatever their situation may be. Father, I pray um that you will allow this to be a foundation of our marriage. I mean the The whole concept of mutual submission is so foreign to our culture, um, but it is so vital for a Jesus-minded marriage, and so may we uh, live in that. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus, thank you for being worthy and holy and worth submitting to. Um, So may we submit to you in the way that we submit to the one that we claim to love the most. We love you, Jesus, and to your name we pray. Amen.